Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. I am Kyle. Oh, and this is Eva. And hello again. Hello. Hey, how is it going, Eva? Still in 2020, same struggle. And but we might have found another Costco that we can go to. Um, <laughs> that is an awful line out the door. <laughs> so we're going to try that after work today because everything on Costco.com is like out of stock. So we have to so have you found a secret costco like i feel like that's the only way you could find one that doesn't have lines out the door i mean if you live in utah um we usually go into the one in salt lake and that's the one that's been lined out the door and it's like really long lines yeah our friends told us like go to the one in west valley and then i was like oh yeah forgot about that one (laughs) so nice yeah so we're gonna try that and we're gonna buy some chicken buy some juice very excited about that. Cool. Well, hopefully that's better. Yeah, I feel like so we're in May now and I feel like we're just leveling up the pandemic. So we've added murder wasps to Wait, the right. list of pandemic uh, or I guess the list of 2020 things that we're just going to have thrown at us. So, yeah, I guess we just we're going to keep upping the ante each month with a new <laughs> level of difficulty. So and murder wasp is for me. Did you see that on Twitter or how did you find out? Um, my wife sent me the link one evening and it was just so she sent over an article saying that they've discovered murder wasps that have come over from Asia to the United States for the first time and to be on the lookout because now that's the new thing. And it was like, well, of course, that's the new thing. We're in 2020 and we need murder wasps because, you know, we were kind <laughs> of not. easing out of some of the other stuff that was happening and we can't ease out of anything. We need to kind of just keep moving along this storyline that we're in. And so murder wasps is next. Also, when that came out, uh, did you see the photos of those? Yeah, they look terrifying. (laughs) I was like, oh, oh, okay. Now this is what we have to fight. And (laughs) the, I don't know if your wife and, and I saw the same article, but the one that I saw, there was a little snippet about this bee farmer. And he's like, I know, uh, just, just checking on my bees and I started seeing like corpses and then the word corpse is also like very serious right and and I was thinking like just dead bees right dead bees like just peacefully laying on the floor and then the next thing you know it the paragraph says like oh the head and the bodies are separated like the murder murder hornet or wasps they actually pull the heads off their bodies off the bees bodies which I'm like no what that seems outrageous you know what i'm saying like a bug killing another bug shouldn't be like i'm gonna pull off your head that doesn't seem a bee thing or a wasp thing to do no they sound super vicious like i don't know like the kind of thing you don't want to encounter i yeah yeah i had a yellow jacket uh last summer chase me down and it was it was not a pleasant experience and it stung me on my shoulder 
um, because they had they had built a nest that I hadn't realized it and I had disturbed it and I thought it was just a wasp nest and one of it one of them came after me and I didn't realize what it was until it kept attacking me and I I ran around that the corner of my house and it kept coming after me (laughs) until it finally stung me on my shoulder and so and then I followed it back as it flew back to its nest. And that's where I discovered where the nest was. And I ended the entire nest. But <laughs> if, yeah, if Did you wasps, throw like sulfuric acid on it or what, what happened? No, no. I just, I got a whole bunch of wasps spray and, and then oh. got in there and just went crazy with it. But if murder wasps are more intense than that, and I suspect that they are, like it's not going to be... You yeah. know, one of them come after you and then lead you back to the right. nest and you just end it. They're going to come after you like I, with yeah, a vengeance gonna, until they kill you. They're going to do that to your family, not not just yeah. like sit there and let you kill their family. No. They're going to pull your heads off, your head off the body. That's yeah. what they're going to do. Yeah. And the one thing that scares me about that, too, is that like <laughs> the I, I don't know if it's intentional that they have to, you know, of course they're from Asia and I'm like, please, can we, can we go easy on, on the origin? Like, <laughs> we talk about how virus doesn't have a nationality. They don't target people or whatever. And then now it's like, I know, but can we go easy on that narrative? <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the Asian trying to kill people narrative has been going on strong in 2020 so yeah now now we're apparently releasing murder wasps wasps to wasps it's just a weird word to say too anyways so yeah trying to kill the whole world yeah we keep leveling it up and i'm i'm not looking forward to what the next levels are whatever comes Uh, next we're gonna see frogs coming down from the sky and that'll be it yep cool now i'm like you sure we want to talk about product design product management all that is the world going to end tomorrow? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, not tomorrow. I think, you know, we will probably keep this storyline going for a while longer. I would imagine. I hope so anyway. I guess yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Beginning of the year, we thought that we we're going to go into war and then Kobe Bryant pass away. And then now we have pandemic and now murder wasps. Yeah. What else? All right. It's, yeah, it's quite the year. On that note, <sighs> should we talk about... Yes. Some product and design stuff. Something that is not depressing or going to kill kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Some non, non-killer things. What do we have today? We are going to talk about research. Nice. A much, a much better topic than murder wasps. <laughs> yes. All right. Cool. Well, I love re- user research, and I think it's one of the most important things that we can do as product managers and product designers, just because it's so fundamental to everything that we have going on within product development and so core to the things that we do. So let's talk about that. I like it. Yes, let's talk about that. And to kick off, I kind of want to know, uh, just in general, like, what what do you know about a researcher? What's your perspective on doing research as a, you know, product management side? Kind of like I was saying, i I'm a big fan of research in all of its forms. Every time I hear people talking about research, user research, and the various ways of doing it, I think it's all 
very, very good. And I always want more of it. So whenever I go to a conference and get to hear dedicated user researchers talking about it, it always makes me a little bit envious because that specific thing is something I haven't, mm -hmm. haven't had a ton of experience with, as in having very dedicated user researchers. And this is something that we've talked a, a little bit Dream. about. Yeah, where <laughs> you have like a department or a group of people whose job is really dedicated to specifically user research. And, you know, that's kind of their area of expertise. And that's something that I think is just very, very awesome. So kind of stepping back a little bit from that, you know, I think that as product managers and product designers, you know, it really is important for us, you know, even though that might not be the thing that we're dedicated to, to take up the mantle, I guess, of user research and do as much of it as we can, just because again, it's such a core thing to product development. I guess with that in mind, you know, maybe we should do a little bit of defining of what is user research. Maybe I'll yeah. put that question to you. What is user research? So I feel like this one is um, probably the easiest to explain out of all the other stuff that we do. Um, very self-explanatory. So kind of do research. And the goal is to find out basically what you don't know, or to, you know, maybe on the way you might end up verifying something that you do know. But the the goal is so that we get, you know, uh, as we look at our own product day in and day out, you know, all day, every day, um, we get out of that mindset and just kind of come out and talk to users and interact in it uh, with people that are actually in it for, 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 for the reason why we built the product so that they can tell us more uh, and then things that uh, we don't see so that we don't become basically uh, trapped in our own mind of what we think towards our own products. And because when you're too familiar with your own product, that's when you're like, I know everything already. I don't, you know, uh, I know exactly what to build, but then doing research can help a lot of um, just Again, keeping you informed as a designer, as a product manager, and just uh, also help to find out what to build next. Um, I think it's a very healthy practice. Yeah. So I'd echo that. Like if we were kind of fundamentally defining what it is, like user research really is about understanding what the needs of users are and understanding how they're going about solving currently the problems that they have and maybe understanding a little bit better about what their needs and use cases are so that we can hopefully find better ways to answer their questions and fulfill their needs and solve their problems for them. Hopefully through the use of the products that we have or whatever it is that we're offering, but ultimately finding better ways to solve the problems of our users and really just having an in-depth knowledge of what their world looks like, what their problems are, yes. and really understanding our users. And I feel like that's the core of user research. And there's, you know, different phases of where user research falls. So if we're kind of in a discovery phase or if we're already in a development phase and, you know, the kinds of research that we, we do, and, and we'll talk, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that, but, you know, fundamentally just that understanding of our users, really knowing what it is that they're dealing with, what it is that they're doing in their world so that we can design better for them and 
create better products for them. Yeah. And it really sucks that like there's not like a alarm or, you know, some sort of siren that will go off if your product is lacking somewhere. We have to be very, be, be very proactive about seeking those, you know, um, maybe gaps in usability or something that is not working for the user. So this is where we start. Yeah. And I feel like, Kyle, you, you summarize that in a way that sounded like the perfect like uh, commercial pitch of why, <laughs> why do I need to do research? Very nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, maybe we can build off a little bit on that. You know, what are some types of research that we can do? You know, because research is a pretty varied thing across all of the different uh, types of research and the different phases that you can do research, you know, when you're in the very initial phases of a product versus when you're already developing a product. Uh, So what are different types. And and obviously there are a lot of different types of research. So probably won't dive into every single type of research that you can do, but let's talk broadly about different types of research. I have a whole list of methods that um, generally, you know, what the industry can offer, (laughs) just all the different research methods. And I'm sure you have already heard of, uh, if not all of them, eight out of 10 of them. Um, So I kind of want to start with, uh, let's say, because you started talking about different phases of your product, you know, life cycle, where you're at, uh, kind of helps you uh, to figure out maybe different needs. So I would say that starting from the very beginning, let's say if you're building a product um, that, you know, is still in the womb, not out in the market yet, and you want to do research and just kind of want to go and see what's out there. And and I know that we keep talking about like, oh, okay, yeah, you don't have a researcher. But I want to just say out front is that this is not a job that is limited to the UX researcher and not everyone has that <laughs> luxury to have that. And again, uh, looking at Adobe, I know <laughs> you have a whole team of everybody, but um, like on our team, for example, we have, you know, product manager and product designer. And right now it falls probably a little more on the product design side. Uh, and it kind of makes sense just because we're designing and we want to um, verify and kind of, oh, okay, why do we want to do it this way? But I would say that a lot of the input needs to uh, be coming from product management side where we usually probably have almost I don't know, overlapping questions that were like, why do, why do we want to do it this way? Or should we do it this way? And then should we build this next? And, and um, so it is definitely a, a co- collaboration, but so back to the discovery phase, I would say that um, first step would definitely be understanding the habitat habitat and, and also what your users goals are. Cause even finding out their priorities and also what in your product is going to be the most meaningful for for them and i i would say that this one can start off pretty casually if you if you have the resources to do so um start a focus group just kind of have a conversation with your potential uh users and it definitely takes time and it it definitely costs money to run focus group right and um i would also recommend there are cheaper ways to do it for example like sending out a survey or or going on websites like um this is not their main purpose, uh, but on like, for example, usability hub, um, you can actually set up a survey and just set the right perimeters and, and send it to the 
you know potential uh, customers that you uh, that you see will fit into who you want to target. Um, and those are some kind of ways to get you started and 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 get some answers. And even though you don't have a design, you know, or any prototype ready to go yet, you can start asking questions. And um, I think even then you. Most of the time, <laughs> I feel like when we do research and testing, what happens is we have what we call, you know, a hypothesis or what we assume, what we're guessing, how people will behave. Um, there are two situations that usually happen. <laughs> One is <laughs> they bring up something that we just have absolutely no idea, like that this is what, you know, will get brought up. It's usually not even the biggest um, question we want, we have or we want to find out. And then all of a sudden, there's a bigger problem that we never even looked at. And then the second scenario of what can happen is that they, 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 they are answering exactly what we want, uh, what what we're asking for, but uh, something that is completely opposite of the hypothesis. So those are very, very, um, I guess, exactly why we do research, right? Because it's like I want that that unexpected answers. That means you know we are getting valuable input that we you know, be behind closed door cannot get. So, so definitely be ready to <laughs> just be, be ready to be surprised by what can come back and keep an open mind. So yeah, but those are some ways that I think um, can get you started on just when you're in discovery phase of a new product or a new feature, just to get that, I guess, baseline understanding of what you, your users are looking for. So yeah, to, to, um, add one more to the pile, uh, the small pile that we have started. <laughs> so cart sorting is a way that you can help your team to understand better what your users' uh, priorities are. Um, for example, this is an example that I, I, I saw from Convey UX, the conference I just went to in Seattle, is that this this presenter, they were building a message, messaging app. And then um, when they were doing cart sorting, they're asking questions like, uh, well, by asking questions, I mean, those cards that they have are, are different scenario of what type of messages or uh, specific scenarios. Like, uh, actually, let me give you the exact example of what, what's on the cards might be easier. <laughs> so, for example, like um, somebody, that, somebody that you have favored in the message app, that's one scenario or somebody who is your supervisor and then uh, somebody who you have messaged in the past 24 hours or somebody who, you know, has messaged you, let's say five times in the past hour. And within those, you know, uh, different people or different scenarios, how would you rank, you know, what is the most important, right? And most people ranked, of course, your supervisor, if they message you, you want to get back to them uh, sooner. So a lot of people rank that as the top. And then the second would be like someone who messaged me five times in the past hour, right? Probably urgent. And so your user basically just looking at these scenarios and telling you like, oh yeah, this is the most important. This is second, this is third, this is fourth. And this can happen in multiple different ways too. There are a lot of online tool, online tools that can help you to get that done, especially now is probably more needed than ever. Or if you're lucky enough to get users in a room, you can do that with sticky notes or even like flashcards. But as long as you have these very uh, specific needs laid out in the cards, um, they, they have to be specific, right? Because you cannot ask people to rank like, is apple better than orange that that doesn't that doesn't help anybody right that's just a preference that's not a priorities so car sorting i would say out of the bunch of uh, research methods this is the one that is the most straightforward and really um anybody can do it so highly recommended so yeah so we've touched on a couple different research methodologies 
are there some other ones too that we should mention as ones that you can use for like different scenarios? Yeah. So there's actually more than what um, most people have time to do, which is a great thing. So just take, you know, what works uh, for you, right? With the time that you have. And um, in the show notes, we can include this list. So on usability.gov, they actually have a fairly, uh, I would say, good comparison table of, of um, just user research basics. And uh, it talks about, you know, card sorting that I just mentioned and contextual interviews and first click testing, all these different ways and what they can or cannot provide for you. And like I said, if you don't have the design, um, what method can you use? And I think this list will give you a lot to, you know, start Googling and also uh, just start investigating. But, but one more method that I really want to highlight in that uh, list is focus groups. And this is probably a, an idea that is the most uh, heard of, you know, I think that's something if you have been in marketing, you know exactly what that is. But um, focus group is something that I also highly recommend because then you can have uh, face-to-face time with you know users to really get a full picture of what their world looks like. I think the one thing that that you can miss, but I don't want you to miss, is spend that time to understand your user's world because for you, you're building the product all day, every day. But for them, this might be something they use, let's say two minutes out out of their day. Um, So definitely understand what is going on (laughs) in that two minutes. What do they need the most? Right. And, and understanding uh, why they have that need at that time during that day, you know, questions like that is very important for you um, on the product team to kind of paint that picture of why certain features are going to be more important for them. And I know that Amazon does this thing, uh, again, it's, it's a luxury that we, we know we don't all have, but just really love the idea of, um, they actually send researchers into people's home and kind of, uh, follow them a little bit and see exactly how they interact uh, with, uh, uh, Alexa to kind of really understand how they use it. And they kind of blend it into the background. I don't know how you do that when you're in someone else's home, but, <laughs> but they do that definitely have that resources to, to do that. And, um, that's, that's great for them. But <laughs> for us, um, I think we just need to go into those focus groups, knowing what we want to get out of that. And like I said, um, top of the list to understand their environment, understand their priorities, understand their needs. And with focus group too, I also highly, highly recommend to do a screener, screener uh, survey to kind of find out who is going to be the most helpful for you as participants in your group. Um, there, you don't want to end up with, you know, people that kind of keep giving you, uh, uh, I guess, you know, they're not going to be the m- most beneficial to to what you're looking for. Like, for example, if you're doing like a food ordering app, right, doing a focus group, you don't want someone who's like, you know what, I I don't, I just don't like the idea of it, or I don't want to ever order food, then, you know, you know, that person's not going to be the most health helpful for you if they just fundamentally does not want to use this. Um, just, just for exa- example, yeah, that screener survey can be really short, but again, just make sure you're asking questions about their, their priorities or habits to make sure you're getting participants that will help you to find out more about your users. Nice. And, oh. You know what? Speaking of that, I have one more that I want to yeah. bring up. Besides all the yes, yes, yes that I just mentioned, there's one that I think is very interesting. A lot of people talk about user persona. 
I have strong opinion about personas. <laughs> so before I go into that, Kyle, I know, yeah, persona. What, what do you think of uh, having user persona? Ooh, user personas. It's a good question. And I will, I'll go with my standard product answer, which is, I think that <laughs> it, it depends. depends. Um, I think that they can be useful tools. And I think that a user persona isn't like a necessarily end all be all answer. I think that it is a good exercise, both in uh, the creation of user personas and in the discussion and uh, thinking that can help generate as far as like, how does a person using our product think about it? What are the different types of people um, who will be using it and the different ways that they might be using it and approaching it, depending on the type of person that they are. Um, mm -hmm. But there are some downsides to user personas too, in that um, in, you know they can really focus us too narrowly in different directions. And um, I, I guess a couple other downsides as well. So I think that both the exercise and the helping us kind of expand the way that we're looking uh, is good in user personas. But I can I also think that um, they're not like an end all be all answer, and they can uh, kind of hinder us by blinding us in some ways to other possible areas that we should be looking and focusing us too narrowly. So I think that they can be a useful tool, but aren't like the the only tool or the only thing that we should be using. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very design and research minded product experience, <laughs> product manager that you just heard from. And I agree with everything you just said. And um yeah, you just explain a lot of why I have strong opinion about this too, is uh, to your point of like narrowing down to what you really uh, should be looking at, right? Because a persona is a fake personality that somehow either you have a lot of data and you create, create that persona. But my point to this is that when you have data, why don't you just use the data <laughs> instead of creating a fake persona, right? And I, I still want to say that having a persona, let's say like right out the gate, you know, day one, day two of your product. And if you need something, if a persona can help you to get there, um, do it. And there, I think there are probably some uh, assumptions that you can make within that persona that will uh, still fit, you know, as you, you know, develop your product. But if you have um, data already and you know who your users are, just talk to those users <laughs> instead of using <laughs> Ken, yeah. age 35, probably works, you know, at Whole Foods and looking for this and that. And um, at that point, I, I really just would recommend um, finding real people. And your users are probably more excited to talk to you than you think they are because they want you to make your product better. Um, so be careful with um, creating a persona because I, I also think that I, you know what? I'm going to use Snapchat as an as an example. I was listening listening to what is that Business War that podcast. Um, they were talking about the birth of Snapchat, and they did not expect high schooler to be like, "Oh yeah, Snapchat, this is so cool, right?" Uh, who you think will be your customer might not end up being your biggest um, customer base, which is very interesting, right? All of a sudden, you have basically high schoolers supporting your business, and and. That is just how it goes sometimes. And you can still stick with your Ken, age 36, works at Whole Foods. But then <laughs> it, yeah, definitely verify that your persona is not too far off. Um, 
to your to your customer if if that is what you're using and use real people. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And going along kind of the same lines as far as the different types of user research that we have, you know, you kind of touched on a bunch of different types of user research and the different ways that we can use them. And I think some of the the favorites that you have, and I agree definitely with that. And I think that it's really important as uh, obviously as product designers and also as product managers to utilize a lot of these. If as a product manager, you're not regularly talking to users, then you're not really like fulfilling your job as a product manager um, because it should be part of the role that you're doing all along the way, both from an understanding of the context of the users of your product. So what is the environment that they are in? Uh, what are the problems that they have? And you know how are they? How does the product kind of fit into their world? Um, so really understanding the context, and and that's kind of through interviews, through just almost like a field study type thing where you're just yes. observing their environment, observing uh, you know what they what they're doing, um, how they're interacting with different things, and then also just talking to them regularly, and so having those regular conversations. Uh, regular interactions, preferably on the terms of the actual user. So uh, not necessarily like bringing them into uh, your world, but going into their world so that you can understand their context and their their issues and their problems and their concerns and things like that. I think that's just really, really fundamental. So the interview, kind of the field study, I think are just key things for product managers. I think focus groups are, are really good for um, you know, getting specific types of feedback really, you know, once you kind of have either working designs or prototypes or, you know, working features where you can kind of get feedback on specific things, you know, we've been very successful in that. And the same thing with interviews, you know, I've had a lot of success taking either prototypes or mock-ups or, you know, yes. functional pieces into basically interviews where we'll set up an entire day of interviews and we'll just pull in users and go through an entire day of just asking people walk through this and yes. you know give them kind of a scenario and say okay try and accomplish this thing and just walk us through what you're thinking and you know tell us about yep. some of the concerns you have or some of the different things that you're trying to accomplish or why did you click there what you know what are you doing um, those types of things either in person or on usability hub or other tools yep. the cost of doing research has come down so significantly. Um, yes. If you think about over the you know the past not just decade, but even the past few years, the ability to get out and do research in a meaningful way, the cost is so much less yes. than it was not that long ago. That there really isn't any excuse, and especially in the world that we're in now, where uh, you know you can do a zoom call you can uh, do other we won't google just call hangouts. out zoom yeah google yeah. hangouts any sort of video call and see how people are using different digital products or you know get if it's more of a physical product we won't just limit it to digital even though that's what a lot of us are, are doing but you're getting feedback on um you know physical products or physical prototypes that type of thing like the ability to kind of Get that type of feedback is just uh, you can do it so much faster than you've been able to do in the past. So 
there really isn't any excuse totally. to to not do that sort of thing. And then also being able to do, you know, the A-B testing and the surveys and gathering the data in a way that, you know, we just haven't been able to do before. It's I just I always think it's just so fascinating how far we've come, you know, when you think about the the past decade. Uh, you know, we just have so much more information. Obviously, totally. you know, filtering out a lot of the signal from the noise is an important part, but the information is there and we need to just take advantage of that, be able to to do the research, put all of that together, both qualitatively and quantitatively. Yes. And understand the the user's needs and how we can just better build products that fit within their lives and solve the problems and pain points that they have. Yeah. So you kind of actually touch on a few uh, of the, the the checklist I actually want to go through um, maybe towards the end of the episode because there are some, I, I think, good rules to, not rules, I guess, reminders and uh, gui- guidelines to fo- follow. Um, I will share that in a second, but I really like what you said about um, just make sure you do it. There's no excuse. <laughs> I also want to mention like, yeah, like I, I think for, for me, I want to speak specifically to product managers that don't have, you know, dedicated resources for research or for design. Like um, I think it's healthier to to at least have a research plan to do what you can do, but do it regularly. Um, kind of like what Kyle said, make sure you can go down, you know, to see how, you know, actually the user's environment is and how they actually use your um, product. That would be ideal. And when you can, and I understand, again, not everyone has all day, every day to do research, but when you do just make sure you you know what you're looking for, um, list out kind of a criteria or, or list out hypotheses that you have and be very clear of what you want to get out of that certain, you know, again, like if you do in cart sorting, make sure you, you're testing something uh, very specific or researching something very specific. And the same thing with focus group and all the other methods that you use, um, um, even though if you can't do it, you know, once a month, even if you don't do it every uh, three months, every quarter, like just know that you should have a, a plan of how often you need those things. And um, and I think you also mentioned something that is, is very, very important is that it doesn't have to be super, super, super formal because, you know, uh, even somebody, let's say Tony and finance can probably tell you what's what, what, what he needs when he use a food ordering app, you know, and unless your product is really, really, really specific, but um, look around and you probably are already working with some of your potential, you know, users or even people that can give you good feedback. And this is something that uh, uh, Jarrett Spool also uh, promotes and approves is that um, when it comes to testing, I know we were talking about research, but I think this will give, um, give you a number to start with is that, if if you have time, um, I would set like five people as your as your participant numbers to so that you get um, good range of responses. But at the same time, you cover uh, five is just kind of the textbook number what we start with, and you will get eighty uh, percent of of responses that will most likely come out of you know uh, your potential customers. And again, do your screener survey or somehow you know find those right people to be in your group so yeah and it doesn't have to be like oh we need to do a full you know five days uh, research every month it can just be like okay once a month we're gonna do uh 
focus group. And and if you, you know, ha- have that time and once a month, you probably will find out more than what you have time to work on really after, after you come out of that focus group. So yeah, it doesn't have to be scary. And I think this is something that I also want to tell you is that when you do any focus group, do any cart, cart sorting and stuff, just, just be confident, just be comfortable. You're asking questions and make sure, um, it's basically the adopted mindset of a scientist and just like, okay, this is, I'm here to listen. Um, and just to be relaxed. This can be fun for both sides, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think of it a lot like building a, building a muscle in that, you know, doing anything is going to be better than doing nothing and starting with something, even if you're not doing it perfectly, like you would want to, or like a dedicated user research team would do is fine. And doing it once a month or once every three months is better than doing nothing at all. Doing it, you know, twice a month is better than doing it once a month. Doing, you know, a, a user interview once a week is better than doing it once a month. And, do you know, setting time to talk with a user for 15 minutes um Every couple of days is better than doing it once a week. So as you can build yes. those muscles and just put that into practice, it's going to be easier and easier. And you're going to uh, just train uh, yourself to to do those things and to really have that in-depth understanding. And um, again, it doesn't have to be like a form, like a really formal thing. You can do more formal things where you set up entire offsites and bring in people and do focus groups or do all day, you know, interviews where, you know, you're, you're testing out different concepts and things like that, or it can be really informal few minutes to just get some feedback or to understand how people are using a product or, you know, just get an idea of what is a problem that people have and, you know, test, even if it's not necessarily the target audience or the target group, you know, Hey, test this thing out for me for just a minute and just, you know, walk me through the thought process because when you're in a product all day, every day, as you know, product designers and product managers are, you tend to start to miss a lot of things that just everyday users who aren't as focused on it, they, they see a lot of things that we don't. And so getting, getting out of that for just a minute really helps refocus your mind around how other people think about it and and the problems that they have because you know we're we're not necessarily designing for ourselves it's great that we're users it's great that we know it in depth but the problems that other people have aren't necessarily the problems that we have yes i really love the way you put that too is that it's so true that the problem that i have is going to be very different than what another person would have and i i want to use this example too is when when i was working uh full-time on our data entry tool and each team just because the business requirements of how they sell is very different from one team to another and it's just the behaviors would just vary so widely that we're like wait they're doing what now but the other team is doing this other opposite thing it's very interesting and it was also really fun that I had the luxury to really just go walk next door to to see my users and they're like 200 of them right there (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and that's something that I I I think right now working on e-commerce which is not something I can just go into (laughs) someone's house and be like perfect let me see how you use this right it's very different so whatever you can do do it and 
um, again, if you really, really, really don't have time, setting up a survey on like Survey Monkey, usability help to really just get some responses. Uh, it might take you like what fifteen minutes to send it out, and then it costs five to ten dollars. And and again, send it for five people, and you will get some responses in like what two hours. That's something that that I think is very feasible if you're really, really, really um, short on time, short on you know resources. So definitely recommend that. So yeah, yeah, agreed. So why then? And we've touched on this kind of throughout the you know a lot of the discussion, but why is it so important? to do user research? I think um, from my perspective is that we just want to make sure we're building uh, something that is right for the users. And it's not us just thinking this is a serious problem for everybody. And in fact, it could be not a priority, right? Again, through like cart sorting focus group, you can hear like, oh, okay, this might not be as big of a problem we're thinking, or the user might end up having another problem that we're not looking at as a problem even on the table. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? <laughs> um, I cannot even put in the credit card to check out. So uh, that probably is a bigger problem than us trying to refine how, you know, product selection works or any, anything that is on our mind. So it, again, it can very well happen that we miss something that is very, very important. And I want to use the same example I brought up, uh, I think not last episode, but the one before is, um, I, I know I brought up how Sephora had this pop-up or is it from one of our meetings? This is probably from one <laughs> of our meetings. Now I'm mixing it all up. But so Sephora had their marketing department uh, basically put out this banner that says, install this app. You know, it pops up from, from the bottom, right? But then the bottom is also where they put the checkout or add to cart button. And and for some reason, they pushed it out and then sales started going down, down, down because no one is adding anything to cart on mobile. And all of a sudden it's like, why is that? Why why is no, no one buying? And we're just sitting here thinking, well, everything's working. QA says that no, nothing is broken. And little do you know that, oh, the user cannot add to cart. Just, um, I mean, if it's that big of a problem, I'm sure you'll find out before you run a focus group. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but those are things that could very well happen and you just have no idea. And especially nowadays, there's so, such a wide spectrum of uh, devices that you can use. Um, you can browse, you know, on websites on your Xbox and you can do it on your phone and phone, you have iPhone, you have Android, you have so many different devices that there's just no way for us to understand, you know, sitting in our, at our desk with our own personal device to understand that wide spectrum of what everybody needs. So this is very, very important to find the right problems to, to solve, I think. So yeah, what do you think? I agree completely. I think it's really about um, informing the design the direction that we're taking and gaining additional insight into what users really need. Um, you know, we can make a lot of assumptions and a lot of our best guesses, which a lot of times are right. You know, hopefully that's because we have good gut instincts yes. about that sort of thing. And, and we've done a lot of research, but at the same time, you know, we need to be informing that direction and those insights with additional research and really validating yes. the fact that what we're doing is in fact the right direction and that, um, you know, we're on the right track. We're designing the right things. We're going to be building the right things 
and that we're ultimately creating the right products for our users that are going to deliver the right experiences and deliver the right value for our business. And those are the types of things that we understand. And that's the type of insight that we gain through talking to users, through doing focus groups, through doing interviews, through looking at the data, doing the A-B testing and doing all of this research that we've been talking about. That's how we come to those conclusions and, and understanding. Without mm-hmm. that, like it's very easy to get on to the wrong track or it's very easy to uh, miss in different directions. So not necessarily that we would create an entirely wrong thing and just go in the opposite direction, but to not be as focused in and dialed in to the right things that we could be doing. Yes. And that's, I think, really the bigger risk, not that we would be completely and utterly wrong, but that we wouldn't be as focused in on the right things as we could be. And that's where research really helps us kind of hone in on where we should be going and direct and the direction that we should be focused on. So glad that you brought up the 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 intuition and uh, the the guesses that we can make too. And is that the reality is that we cannot uh, make every single decision after we want to run, you know, a focus group and all that, right? We still are making decisions based on what we know. And the nice thing about doing research, and if you have research as a habit, as a, you know, uh, monthly activity, however long you have it, you will actually start to build up that intuition based on what you have learned from, from your research. And the more research you do, the more you'll be able to have, have that, uh, reflex of like, oh no, you know, our users probably wouldn't, you know, react this way towards this feature because of, you know, something that, uh, just you'll be more informed based on your research because you have, you know, been doing it and you should know what world your users are living in and just, it will, it will help you to make those, um, day-to-day decisions a lot better too. Yeah. And seeing, and it really is about seeing kind of the world that users are living in, which, you know, a lot of times you don't get to see unless you go out and just experience it for yourself and understand. And even users don't get to, you know, fully tell us, or they can't really express to us fully what that looks like for them. Um, and there's just, numerous, numerous times that that's been the case where, um, you know, we'll have users kind of give us feedback as a product team about things that they want or or think that they need. You know, one experience was in one of the products a while ago that we were developing, you know, one of one of the pieces of feedback that we got was they uh, wanted a a button for an export. Uh, They wanted to be able to export to Excel. And so that was a constant piece of feedback that we were getting. And so it was like, okay, let's go actually see what people are doing so that we can kind of understand this a little bit better. And so we went out and just started looking at what people were doing uh, rather than kind of put an export to Excel. And that's where we started to see that it wasn't about exporting to Excel. It was about getting the data from our app into another app. And so we could have done that through an export to Excel or we could do that through a direct integration. And so all of a sudden it was like, well, do we want to do it through multiple steps? Or if we could simply do it through one step and give them uh, you know, a direct integration where they could say, okay, move it over here now in one single step. And that was a much better experience. But the reason everybody was this. saying, give me the export to Excel, because... <laughs> 
that was the experience that they were used to in all of the other things that they were using. So they were just, you know, saying, give us the export to Excel because all these other apps that we're using have export to Excel. And that's just the process that we're used to. When we went out and actually saw and observed what they were doing, we realized that there's much better solution to the problem that they had. And so really understanding what the need was rather than just what the proposed solution was, was a big part of what we understood just from observing and watching them in action. And so those are the kind of insights that you can get from research that uh, are so critical to creating the best experiences. And you can create good experiences without doing it, like just getting the feedback and giving an export to Excel button would have been good, but you can kind of take it to the next level and really uh, get the great experience by understanding the context that the users are in and then solving the right problems. This is such a Henry Ford moment. <laughs> it's like, I want a faster horse. Yep. No, here's a car. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that is such a testament to that. I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, I know we're approaching the end. I just kind of have a short list of uh, some quick, I don't know, reminders. How do we call them? Uh, quick guidelines of just what to keep in mind as you dive into doing more research or continuing to do research. So the first one I have, uh, if you want to start doing research and kind of feel like, "Uh, I don't know, there's too much, don't know where to start is I would say if you have anywhere in your product or if you, if you have a uh, journey map, look at the low points and start there or anywhere in your product that you think has the highest, um, friction, then start there. And then let's, uh, take care of the these most most um headache inducing <laughs> points of the process for the users you'll get uh, a lot more results from from your research it will be probably most helpful too and um second one is start with if you don't have anything at all just start with the uh biggest gap or biggest area where you feel like that is just unknown to the entire team we kind of feel like we know what people are doing, but we don't um, start with those areas too. And third is balance uh, the qualitative and quantitative uh, research. Um, because at this point, I think you should probably focus more on on the qualitative side of things and figure out the what and the why. Um, and and when it comes to uh, qualitative data, we're talking about like so-and-so feels this way when they're doing this thing and how can we, you know, how help them to not feel that way, right? And, and by answering those questions, it's going to help you to get to a solution faster and build up like, oh, this is the world that our users are, are living in. Because at this point, quantitative research uh, or quantitative data can help you to see how successful this feature is. But I would, I would, I personally think that that is probably more helpful later stage when you actually have a solution that you want to propose and see how successful that is. But I would say that is more helpful in the testing portion of this. When it comes to research, you want to stay more on the qualitative side, I think. (laughs) So the next one is, um, I have mentioned this before, just be relaxed, be confident. And um, when you're doing any any activity that you, you interface with your users, they are just normal people um, want to tell you everything. Just just be confident. And if you're asking them a question and they have weird 
moments when they're just not saying anything, let them have that silence and then they will then tell you what they're thinking. Don't rush them. I think that's one of the biggest thing I've learned in research is that you allow that silence and eventually they will give you something that they're just trying to regurgitate and then finally it will come out in words. It's going to be beautiful. And last point is just ask, 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 ask all the questions that you want to ask. Uh, I mean, with a plan going into all all your uh, research activities with a plan of what you want to know, but um, there's no silly questions. Ask them what you need to know. Because when we talk about like what world a user is in, that's a very broad question. And if there's any specific questions that you want to ask to help you to understand the user better, it sounds very personal, but I do think that that is very, very important. For example, like the data entry tool that I've worked on Um, most of the time their users are very motivated by their commission, right? And that's something that sounds weird to ask, like (laughs) what motivates you or why, why is it important for you for, for this product to work? And nine times out of 10, they'll tell you like, because this is how I, you know, pay my bills. I need my paycheck. Right. So those are things that sounds again, personal, but it's very, very important for us to get that, um, get that data and because it is personal for the users to tell you that too, just that's why it's also very important for you to be confident. So then they don't feel like, uh, uh, am I telling you too much? Or is this the right answers you're looking for? And make sure they're, uh, they're comfortable uh, telling you what they're thinking too. Just try to create an atmosphere. And again, this can be very fun for both sides. And so, yeah, those, those are kind of uh, items that I would recommend. Just keep in mind those things as you either start researching or continue on your research journey. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd add, so one thing that came to my mind there, if you've never been on the other side as a product manager or product designer, uh, sign up just for the opportunity to do some, give some feedback and be a volunteer for some research for some other people. I do that periodically just to be on the other side and see how other people are doing research. And it's really helpful and kind of enlightening. And so just be on the other side of it on occasion, and it will kind of give you an idea of what it's like for your users when you're doing interviews and other things. And so um, that might be helpful as you're going out and conducting user research as well to volunteer for other people to do some research on you, whether that's to give feedback on features or other things as well. So very um, interesting. Yeah. So do that. You'll get the chance to to look at some other people's products and things like that at some point. And so, um, and it will give you some insight into other design and research practices. I have not heard that anywhere on the internet yet. So I really like that. There you go. Yeah. Information and tips that you will get nowhere else but here. <laughs> Sweet. Everything that I've said probably can be Googled. So I cannot <laughs> say the same. But what, what you said there is, yeah, original. I like. <laughs> I like that. Um, I, at, at the very end, I want to bring up this one very, uh, what is that word? How do I describe this this incident? Not incident, but just a full circle event. Um, serendipitous? Is that serendipitous? Is that the word that's that a I'm good looking one. for? Yeah. 
Yeah. So what happened was that I was like kind of, you know, doing homework and be like, yeah, research. What is it everyone's saying about research? And then so I went on Medium, medium medium.com on UX Collective, just quickly browsing what everyone is saying. And it was very, very creepy uh, because I saw this article. I was like, oh, very interesting. The article is titled, Stop Doing User Interviews, Start Having Conversations, The Case for Relaxing and User Research, which I was like, yeah, I like that. That's, you know, something that we, in in this episode, we we kind of, you know, constantly talk about and just like, yeah, yeah, talk to your users. Guess who wrote that article? Who? Guess. Make a wild guess. Um, not Henry Ford. I'll tell you that. Ford. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I have, if I've got a good guess. <laughs> okay. So again, I'm going to butcher her name. It's Nicola Rushton. There you go. Yep. The, the, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> and I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, you know, someone who's active on Twitter is writing medium article, but I would just like, Oh, wait a minute. It's the same person that I really like from before. And um, I was thinking maybe one of these days I'm going to reach out and be like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? We're going to interview you because you're saying a lot of things I like. So we'll see. But yeah, everyone go read that article too. It's it's pretty cool. I really like, I keep stretching this episode, but the last thing I want to bring up is the one thing that she she brought up in the, in, in her article is embrace non-formal language. Um, there's something that is, I cannot say out loud on this family-friendly podcast, but... Uh, <laughs> but 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 it's just basically don't sound like a researcher when you're going in there just sound like a normal human being trying to understand another human being um i really really love that point so shout out again to nicola and i think i should probably reach out to her and tell her that she was mentioned in this episode and the other one <laughs> so okay. that is it that I, I think that that was my also uh weekly Shout out to, again, the same person. Yay. Nice. Shout out. And uh, yeah, we need to get her on to the to the podcast here. Yeah, I think she's in Australia. So we might have to stay up at like four in the morning for, for the interview. But <laughs> you down? <laughs> yes. Something. Ab- we'll find a time. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll find a time. But for yes, absolutely. For a great guest, we will... <laughs> Any hour, any time, we will make it happen. That's what we do here. I was like, yes, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I can stay up until, you know, wee hour of the night, but I cannot wake up early. Yes, yeah, it'll have, we'll go late. Yes, we can stay up late, but the waking up early, I agree with that. That, that's much more difficult. I'm surprised. Are you not a morning person? Uh, I, I would consider myself much more of a night owl than a morning person. So yes, yep. I almost feel like everyone we work with is morning person, which yeah. Yeah. We need I, more of night, night owls. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. All right. Well, that was good. Anything else? Don't sue me if anything I say you don't agree with, but tweet at me if you want. would love to have a conversation and yeah. And again, we have a new, new ish twitter so tweet at us yeah tweet at me tweet at kyle yes don't start fights with me please no <laughs> no civilized debate on twitter will be there i feel like that's too much to ask for on twitter <laughs> semi-civilized debate on twitter <laughs> let's let's end there we just want want civilized debates so thank you so much for listening 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.